Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 31. We are back, now focused almost entirely on baseball. We will recap um, the basketball season, kind of lessons learned, things we saw and liked, looking a bit ahead to the future. We're primarily going to focus on both recapping the Texas series win and previewing the upcoming series against the Kansas Jayhawks. We're in baseball season, folks. Get ready, buckle up. We'll be bringing to the content hard and fast. Pay attention to the website as well because Jack Bell's joining with me and he's been writing most of our baseball articles. So feel free to read along to his series previews and series recaps to get additional details. I know a lot of people don't follow college baseball as closely, so we're really going to try to do a good job keeping you guys informed. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started with basketball. And the reason why I want to start with basketball is because I really want to spend the bulk of this episode talking baseball. So this just gives us more time. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Last week I was not able to join. Jack and Kendall did an outstanding job previewing the Sweet 16, previewing Texas, and interviewing Keenan. By the way, that Keenan Evans interview is still a great listen. If you have not gotten a chance yet, feel free to go and listen to that. It's an interesting guy. He has not talked to many tech podcasts. In fact, I think we may be the only ones he's gone on outside of like Red Raiders Sports. So, you know, feel seriously, I, I, you, you're missing out if you haven't listened to that. You get a good feel for what is a crazy era in tech basketball, which was the rise of the program. But we had our own crazy era this year. And we're, we all know the circumstances that started off this season, but I like to look back to them anyways, because I think you undersell what Mark Adams did if you don't talk about where we started back in last April. So, Jack, I'm going to open this up first thing, and I'm going to I'm going to go broad, and then we'll maybe narrow in focus a little bit. But the broad strokes is when you take the, the totality of the season, building the staff, <coughs> building the roster, building uh, uh, your offense and defense game plan, executing it through to the tournament. How, how what what are what are your like big picture takeaways from what we learned from Mark Adams's first season as Tech's head basketball coach? I think my first takeaway was really that it was always Mark Adams, wasn't it? Uh, you know, <clears throat> he's a big reason uh, for tech success over the past, you know, four or five years. And I think this really put a magnifying glass on just how much he was to, uh, you know, thank and, uh, you know, as much of part of the success that he was. Uh, I think that... Big picture, the defense was fantastic. Uh, I don't think that changes much going from now forward. I don't. I don't think that changes at all. I think you're kind of probably going to see a consistently uh, top five defense overall in the country, probably until Mark Adams uh, retires. But uh, I think another takeaway that I have is the offense. And there were times this season where we went on some some scoring droughts for sure. But I still think overall that this this offensive scheme that these guys are learning that Coach Peary brought in, it obviously takes some time to learn a new scheme. And for some of these people and guys that will stay in Lubbock and stay with the program, I think they'll get a jump start on other people coming in in terms of learning the scheme and they'll kind of help coach uh, peer coach, I guess you could say their uh, teammates. But I think overall, I, I like where the offense is going. 
Uh, I like it a lot better than the motion offense where you know that you're going to have to hold a team. Basically, in the motion offense, I feel like you're going to have to hold a team to under 65 points if you want to win. And, you know, for a long time that worked at Tech. But I also think that if you if you can guarantee that you're going to hold teams under 60 points and you can score at a decent clip, it's a good recipe for success. I also think that in big in terms of big term, big picture things, that after the after our first Final Four run, the the recruits got better and better. And I think that when you're recruiting your four and five star guys, I think that you're looking at guys that just want to come in and be the guy and score 25 points a game and kind of just rest on defense for when you get the ball back. Well, I think that once you start recruiting five-star guys like that, that's where your game plan kind of falls through the cracks, which is, I feel like, which is what happened in the last two years of the Beard era. I feel like once Tech finally got access to these five-star guys and we're like, oh, well, we can get them, so let's recruit them, they didn't fit the scheme. I feel like with Mark Adams, he's a lot more focused on who focused on the guys that he brings in. He asked them if they fit the scheme. And if they don't, then, you know, maybe after the first two times he talks to him, he said, you know, I think that you'd be a better fit somewhere else. I appreciate you talking to us, all this stuff. But I don't feel like Mark Adams will necessarily get away from recruiting the right guys for his scheme. Uh, Obviously the defense first scheme. But, God, he's so easy to cheer for, so easy to root for, so easy to pull for. And I think the country saw a lot of that in the tournament, Um, especially when everyone wants him to beat Duke, you know. And then in the Sweet 16, everyone's getting some media coverage. So people are starting to look and research Texas Tech and what exactly we're about and – this 65 year old man who's in his first year as a D one head coach. And so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to cheer against a feel good story. And I think that's what Texas tech is. It's a feel good story, but we're going to get down and dirty and we're going to drive your offense crazy. I think there's a lot to be said for um, abandoning the motion offense that, Tech both embraced to success, but it also speaks to a change in identity in the program. Uh, it actually, you know, what really bothered me during the year was when when people tried to compare what Tech was doing now to the motion. And I, I, I just think, if, if anything, this was the least system-driven offense I'd seen Tech run in a long time uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of Tech's best success really did involve guys just getting aggressive going downhill um, so I see that comparison away, but I, I didn't see, you know, the, the idea of if you couldn't get a backdoor cut, you know, with, with the motion, you were screwed. You, you had to praise somebody's score. I saw Tech try to run sets. I saw Tech do a good job trying to attack, be aggressive, not wait for things to happen, try to be a bit faster paced. Um, and if, any, if anything, I think the biggest, you know, thing I can say about this is you did all of this without a point guard, you know, and when I look back on the Mark Adams era as a whole, what I'm going to remember to start of it, that is as a whole, what I'm going to remember is he built a staff and a roster that didn't have a true point guard. Um, his staff was largely untested besides himself. And a few guys who had had some run at higher level programs, but you know, coach Peary probably was the most experienced in terms of, you know, being the head guy at Portland state. And that's obviously not what, you know, Chris Beard built at Texas where he hired multiple successful mid-major head coaches to join his staff. And, you know, you, you took these guys and you gave them a roster of no point guard, nobody to run the floor with no, with your best assumed player, Terrence Shannon, never being healthy with Kevin McCullough in and out of the lineup. You coughed up an Iowa state game early on because of COVID um, that really could have set you down a bad path in the big 12. Cause right around the corner was Kansas and Baylor. And you finished 27 and 10 and in the sweet 16, like uh, th- this team was supremely talented. And I, I fully believe that if they, don't make a few critical errors for stretches during the Duke game. You know, they, they probably win that game. 
despite Duke's hot shooting there at the end. I, I think he gave it to Duke a bit. But the point of this is to say is, you know, it's hard to look at what some of the great stories are in college basketball this year if you're you're just a random fan and think about specifically about what Mark Adams did. But how many college basketball teams have ever had this much success with no point guard? Because your best point guard, Malik Wilson, did not play. Your best player, I think, overall was probably Bryson Williams, who was a forward, who barely touched the ball, mind you. I've never seen a team less able to get the ball to a playmaker with position on the block than we did with Bryson Williams, and he still dominated. But the point being is, you know, you didn't have anybody who took over games. Bryson Williams was your best player and only averaged like 15. You know, you didn't have anybody dropping 20 or 17. Uh, you didn't have multiple players dropping 17. You had a, a very balanced, unselfish team with no one running the floor. Terrence was never healthy. Kevin McCullough is in and out of the lineup. You did all this, and you had such an insanely successful season. And like I said, as an objective, just a random fan, you you may get lost in that. Tech was picked to finish, I think, fourth in the Big 12. You finished third. A fourth-place finish or third-place finish in the Big 12 should reasonably expect to have a shot at the second weekend. You know, if you're not aware of what happened, you lose out on what an insanely impressive coaching job this was. And here's the best thing is I don't think this was Mark Adams' best job. I think he struggled to figure out how to pull levers offensively. I think he didn't get a feel for his lineups for a lot of the year. I think he saw substitutions in weird moments. Um, I think you saw a guy who was growing with the program. And despite all of that, he was able to build a team that was just objectively better than the than Texas, that was better than Baylor, that was better than AM, better than um pretty much everybody but Houston in the state. And even then, I think Tech probably could have beaten Houston heads up. But you know that that's a hypothetical. But the point being is that's that's you were the you were the top program in the state, arguably. You were one of the top programs in the nation, arguably, or def- just objectively. I think Tech's probably going to end up grading out somewhere in the top fifteen in the AP poll. And you did all that with massive weaknesses, tons of health problems, and a staff that had never coached before at this level. Um, and I. I I, I think that, you know, the other big lesson I take away is the future of college basketball is going to be the transfer portal. I think only a couple of programs can feel good about ever retaining talent. And most of those programs are still going to lose their developmental guys. So you're going to have to rebuild rosters every year. And Mark Adams, in the steepest of odds, when no one believed in the program but him and, you know, the people in Lubbock, when nobody bought in that he could recruit when nobody trusted that Tech was going to survive the transition, he went out and built a roster that was so good that Big 12 coaches evaluated and said, this is a fourth-place finished roster. Like That's the part that gets lost in all this. Nobody thought he could recruit. Nobody thought that Tech was a viable team anymore. Everyone was packing up and moving down the street to Austin, and he built a roster so impressive that when we got to the preseason poll – the coaches were like, yeah, this is teams. They, they're not going anywhere. You know, like, wh- why would you think that? The talent level's up there of anybody's. So I, he, he, that comes from his years of JUCO, having to build rosters every year. I think he's comfortable in this environment. I think Tech is bringing in exactly the right formula. Grab a, t- a couple of freshmen every year, four or five transfers, and make a run. Um, I think that this year can only be qualified as, as a success of an overwhelming caliber. I think sweeping Texas and – Watching that squad flounder while yours kind of surged um, was important. And in, and in a pressure cooker of a year, there was so much pressure on this team to win and sustain the program's success to do it without arguably ever playing with a full deck for basically 90% of the year was a testament to Coach Adams, a testament to how hard this roster fought, how good these kids were, and just a testament to where the program is. Which brings me to the second question. We're going to look ahead briefly to the future. And that just, you know, where do you see tech next year in the big 12? We, we, we know that there's going to be a ton of turnover between now and then, but with, with how Mark Adams coached in year one, with who's coming and going, what do you, what do you think so far? I think that looking forward, there's going to be, as you mentioned, a lot of turnover. I also think that tech is primed to kind of stay right where they are. I don't anticipate a drop-off really at all unless we just flop in the portal, which I'm not anticipating at all. Uh, I think you have a you have a solid nucleus of 
of guys that are staying or that at least haven't put their name in the portal yet to build a team around. I think you have two more than capable point guards that are still with the program as of today in uh, Malik Wilson and Clarence Nadolny. I think you have a more than capable big who got, I think, a lot more run than anyone thought he would this year in Daniel Bacho that can be, uh, he can become a centerpiece for this tech team. I also think that you have guys that are in this program that truly want to be here or else they wouldn't, uh, you know, KJ Allen hasn't put his name in the portal yet, which is good sign um, among others. And so I just, I don't anticipate a drop off really. I think that tech has its eyes on the right people in the portal at that. As of today, we're recording this the last day of March. Uh, I think there's a lot of very high quality talent already in the portal. I will put a couple of bold predictions out there, I guess. Um, I, I don't think that Terrence Shannon will play another game in a Red Raider uniform. I'd, I'll put it this way. I'd be shocked if he did. I, I think he moves closer to home and uh, plays somewhere where he's going to get some more offensive run. I also would be shocked if uh, if Kevin McCuller leaves. Uh, I, I think that he's his game could translate well to the NBA. I just think there's a little more work to be done there. Also, I guess, and I, I don't know if he would be interested in the portal or not. I just don't feel like it after him staying through all this, all the coaching turnover and everything. But I think that Tech has its eyes on the right guys in the portal that are there. I think there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of talent and a lot of possibilities into building a roster. And judging with some of the some of the names that we've already heard Tech contacting, it's a good it's a good sign. Uh, I I don't really think that I don't I in all honesty I don't think Nigel Pack comes to Lowick. Uh, I know we were talking about this earlier that uh, all signs point to Purdue. And that and that seems like a like a solid landing spot for him. I wish he would come to Lubbock. I, we would love we would love to have him, but I just feel like Purdue's more of a fit for him and his style of play. Um, but you know, I'll I'll have a piece out on the site in the next week or so uh, about highlighting a guard that I think would be a fantastic fit here in Lubbock, and. Uh, He's pretty familiar with the tech, uh, with playing against tech, and that's all that I'll say about that. But um, overall, I, I, I see you know, as of today, I don't anticipate a drop off at all. I think I think we're kind of right in our wheelhouse right now, and I think that if we play the portal right, I think you know maybe we can we could rise up and challenge for the second spot, possibly even a first place spot in the Big Twelve. I, I look at the portal as, you know, the Wild West, which is an easy metaphor to go for, but really is because it, everybody's cheating. Everybody's doing whatever they can to tamper. We have no idea who's going to do what. But I do think when you look at Tech's roster, the person I'm most confident in and ultimately coming back out of the guys who may go um, is probably Kevin McCullough. I, I just, no offense to Kev, but he just, I don't think he measures out to the NBA yet. And I don't imagine he wants to transfer. I think TJ, I think people are going to be stunned when TJ does measure out to the NBA. If he was healthy this season, I think we would have seen quite a show. And I, I, I the, the, the jumper he displayed at the end of the year is what I guarantee he was being told by NBA scouts he had to prove. Because there were times during that tournament, you know, other than, I think, Duke, I think both against Notre Dame and Montana State, I think he, he made like seven out of eight shots from beyond. And some of them were deep, you know, he, he shot the ball extremely well. Once he got healthy, he's explosive. I think he's going to grade out to the NBA. He's gone. I don't know what O'Banner is ultimately going to decide. Um, he has eligibility left. I don't imagine he wants to transfer. I don't know what the NBA thinks about his game. 
Uh, part of the problem is, is he just doesn't have elite size. He's not a small kid, but he's probably going to be asked to either step out and be more of a, a small forward, which means he needs to demonstrate he can get his three-point percentage up, or he needs to try to prove that even at his size, he can rebound against elite NBA bigs. And I just don't know if that's a thing he can do yet. I, I don't know. I He would have a position in any European league if he just wants to go get paid. I could also see him transferring if he thinks he's done what he could at Tech, which was demonstrate his defense. But he's another guy I, I, I believe him may come back. I think TJ's gone. Um, Naldoni's a character to watch. I don't know if he grades out as being something anybody wants at any level outside of Tech. He's such a Tech player. He had a, some great games this season. That may be enough to get him a spot somewhere as a starting guard. But the reality of the situation is he just isn't a scorer. Um, those, those points you got from against Texas, Kansas, and Baylor were truly gifts from above because he is an elite defensive player. He's a junkyard dog. He's just not much of a scorer. Um, you mentioned K.J. Allen. K.J. Allen's the kind of guy that I am so excited to see him next year. He just didn't shave off enough weight this season. Um, I think was to, he didn't get the defensive system, and he was just a little out of shape. And that, that he had a, He's a big kid with explosive leaping ability, but he's never been asked to grind like Tech asked people to grind. And it's just going to take another year of him being in an, an elite weightlifting program to get to the, his body right. Um, it's hard to do that in a few months. You know, you think about it this way. I don't remember when he commits sometime late April or whatever, but you have to imagine he only was in the weight program four-ish months before the season started. You know, he's got a full year under him. He'll get an off-season fully in the program. Um, I'm excited for Bacha round two. I think Bacha was another guy that before he got hurt there at the end, um, he was really starting to come along. That set back his development. It was clear he never looked the same after that. He was behind the eight ball. But when he was starting to click it, it once he gets a bit more of a jump shot, he's going to be dangerous. Um and I'm, I'm excited. I, 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 Malik Wilson's. I don't remember if he has eligibility or not. Um, you're losing Adonis Arms. You're losing uh, uh, Malik's a junior. So. Malik. So Malik could will likely stay. I would think. Um, but you're going to lose. You're going to lose Adonis Arms. You're going to lose Bryson Williams. Those are major losses. You're going to lose Davion Warren. That's a major. That was your sixth man off the bench. Um, you know that that that's a tough loss. And then we don't know what the transfer portal is going to look like. Buzo's obviously out the door. I'm not surprised he never was able to crack the rotation here. I think that was a defense thing. He never looks comfortable in the defensive system. But overall, that that's a much long, more long-winded way of saying it. I kind of agree. I, I think that if Tech plays its cards right in the portal, the talent coming in with some of these really Pop Isaac and Jason uh, and you know your your Washington uh, Lamar Washington. your returning cast is good. Um, you know that that's a solid group as is, and then you you got to play your cards right in the portal. It's all going to depend, though. Obviously, if a color leaves, the whole situation's different. So if Banner doesn't come back, it's a whole different situation. If TJ ends up staying, it's a whole different situation. So the portal's going to determine what this goes. Like, I trust Mark Adams to work it, but, you know, if I had to guess right now where I think Tech ends up, I think under this system, I think with the staff, with the guys you know should you should feel pretty good about coming back, with the guys you've got coming in. There's no reason Tech can't regularly compete in the top three of the Big 12. I think that's where you are as a program. Um, you've, established, you've established yourself as the premier program in the state from a fan base perspective. The facilities are elite. The coaching's elite. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't see a reason to expect a backslide. I, if any program is immune to a backslide, it's one that's going to have as much returning um, – as much talent coming in as tech does and as much potential to get better as tech does, especially if TJ ultimately likes to stay. And I know people are giving TJ crap, but guys, he was never healthy this year. I mean, back problems don't go away. He was healthy all of like two games and they were the best he really played as a red Raider this year. So if we get him back, thank your lucky stars. I just, I imagine there's something to be said about him getting closer to home, trying for the NBA. And I imagine there's something to be said about him not being the focal point of attack offense next year either. I just, it's, we'll see. But I, I, I look to the future and I think a top three spot in the Big 12 should be the new expectation. I think that that's where you are. But that's enough basketball. Let's shift to baseball. Jack, I'm going to let you open up and just give me, you know, your, well, let's, let's do it this way to recap Texas instead of really getting into it because the games were insane themselves. All three ended in kind of odd fashions, a run rule the stolen base and the walk-off grand slam. So let's just do it this way. What are the three lessons you learned from that weekend against the Texas Longhorns? 
my number one thing that I learned would be that Tech can hit. I think you've seen it a lot this year against mediocre teams. And I I don't mean any disrespect to any teams that Tech has played uh, so far. But they're not good. Uh, If you want to go back, look at that Merrimack series. I mean, those guys couldn't feel the fly ball. So let's, I mean, let's just be honest about it. Um, The only team I do intend disrespect to is Rice because their coach sucks. Uh, I would like to go ahead and say my number two thing that I learned is that our rotation is a lot stronger than I thought, our starting rotation. Yes, we lost uh, game three in a run rule. That had nothing to do with starting pitching. Uh, yeah, Birdsell gave up 10 hits, but guess he only gave up three or four runs. And then uh, on Friday night, Andrew Morris looked the best he's looked all season. So I think that this starting rotation is a lot better than I anticipated for sure, much less, uh, you know, this early into Big 12 play. I thought, you know, maybe middle of Big 12 play, you know, kind of going towards the end that they would settle into their roles pretty well. But it seems to me that, like, they're already there. Um, The weekend guys look great as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm okay with giving up 10 hits if you're stranding, you know, if you're stranding 10 guys on base, I'm more than happy with that. That's fine. The third thing I learned, and it's unfortunate, is that our Achilles heel, as it has been, I feel like, for the past, two to three seasons is going to be the bullpen. You just simply don't know what you're going to get. Um, you can, you can go in there and look at game one where, you know, Texas scores four runs. Texas has a great offense, by the way, I will preface that preface all of this with saying that Texas has one of the best offenses in the country. And it's, that's no secret. That's, that's been, well-known around the entire country for er, ever since the season started. So uh, the fact that this team came into Lubbock and scored, you know, four, four runs in the first 12 in the second and 13 or 12 in the, in the finale, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. This is, this is one of the elite hitting teams in the country. I will say this. I don't care if you're playing Texas or if you're playing Merrimack. You have to have quality bullpen outings. or Because you can't rely on your own offense to score double-digit runs every game. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, right now, Tech's averaging right at about 9.5 to 10 runs a game. But we've only played one Big 12 series. We got incredibly lucky in this Texas series, the fact that their bullpen just happens to be even worse than ours. That is, which is, is astounding to me because the first three weeks of the season, they were solid lockdown. No one could do anything against them. Ask the LSU fans when they played them in Houston, how good Texas's bullpen is. They're fantastic. You lose your Sunday starter. Then you have to shake up your bullpen. All of a sudden, you know, things start to change. Players are pitching in roles that they're not used to. And that's what costs Texas. And that's why we beat Texas. The, st- the straight steal of home to win to on a walk-off is, I just was, that's absolutely absurd. Like the fact that that even was on the table is one thing, but the fact that it was actually executed is absurd. Uh, the fact that the next day, the same dude that steals home hits a walk-off grand slam in the bottom of the tent. It's just absolutely nuts. And the fact is, they brought Duplantier in because Nixon was pitching in a tie game, and they thought he was still rattled from the night before. They bring Duplantier in, and he gives up the bomb. Back to what I'm saying. Tech's bullpen is Jekyll and Hyde, and you don't know if you're going to get the the team that threw in Game 2 of the Mississippi State Series or the team that threw in Game 2 of the Texas Series and got lucky enough that their bullpen was worse. 
This is a team that the hitting will be fine. We have plenty of depth. The the starting rotation looks good. It's probably the honestly because we're at the point la- right now that last year we started having some injuries and that's when our rotation started kind of messing around is when we had injuries. So as of right now, we're looking probably as good as we have in a while, starting rotation-wise. And it's just a matter of what you're going to get out of the bullpen. You just don't know. Every every game that I watch and our starter goes out, I sit there and think to myself, well, here we go. What's going to happen? Are, are we going to shut them down or are we giving up another 10 runs? Because right now, it's not one or the other. It, it is one or the other. It's not. There's nothing in between. It's either no runs on like two hits over five relief innings or it's six hits, uh, five walks and 10 runs over that same five. You just don't know what you're going to get. And that at this point in time is what really uh, worries me about this team. The problem with bullpen pitching is, it's not something you notice a ton of during the regular season. I mean, obviously, the Texas games, you could see it, and there have been some this year. What I mean by that is Tech is good enough at home and good enough offensively that you're going to you're gonna make the postseason. You're probably going to host a regional. You should win that regional. And I, I imagine you'll have a good shot to host a super because it just it appears that your starters are doing enough and your offense is doing enough that despite a very shaky bullpen, um, you should be able to get pretty far. That, that could change at any moment's notice. Jack Jack kind of highlighted this, but you, you don't know what you're going to get a lot of from. But what the Texas series highlighted is just Texas is the kind of team you're going to have to beat to ever make a run at Omaha. Uh, there, there is a reason why a lot of Tadlock teams have faltered once you get to the College World Series. And the reason I mean is because TD Ameritrade is the worst offensive ballpark in the nation. It eats home run teams for breakfast and spits them out. Lubbock is the most friendly offensive ballpark probably in the country. Tech dominates in Lubbock because it is hard to come in there and out-hit them. It's extremely hard to come in there even with the best staffs and out-hit them. What Stanford did last year was so insanely impressive because of the fact that they largely just shut Tech out in that Super Regional but through outstanding pitching, but that's not common. You know, That's probably the first time in a very long time that Tech has dropped two at home um, back-to-back. But when you look at the uphill battle in Omaha is with this staff, because at this point in time, Tech is a good enough program that we should always expect regional, super regional, right? You know, that making the super regional is the minimum now. That, that's where you are as a program. That's the kind of recruiting you've done. That's the kind of team Tad like is. So I'm always looking ahead to Omaha, which, you know, is a bit of a spoiled, you know, whereas six, seven years ago, I'd be ridiculous for even suggesting Omaha. But now when you, if you want to get to the next level for Tech, which is winning more than a couple of games, which is making it to the national title, winning a national title, which is the only blemish on Tadlock's um, success in Lubbock because he has not had many wins in Omaha. But if you want to get to the point where you're you're not just a regular face in the College World Series, which is impressive enough, but you are a factor for the title, you can't have a bullpen that's regularly going to get up seven runs in it. You can't have a bullpen that you can't trust because what wins in Omaha is a deep, deep staff. You have to play a bunch of teams that are elite on short notice. That's how you win in the postseason in baseball. Baseball's postseason is designed so that the deepest pitching staffs win. It's why Texas has historically had so much success in Omaha, because they have the t- recruiting to bring in a crap ton of elite arms. The, and the teams that win the national title almost every year are the teams with the best top-to-bottom bullpen. Because it's different from basketball. In basketball, you just got to get hot at the right moment. St. Peter's is a great example of this. You get a team that's shooting the ball well, playing well, you can make a run. In baseball, when you get to the level that is the College World Series, which is, an, like I said, an accomplishment to reach in the first place, but when you get there, it's not enough to be hot because you have to be consistent. I don't know how you fix bullpen problems in baseball. It's one of those things you can't just, like, create more arms. But I think the biggest thing is you, you start coaching these guys up from a mental standpoint, getting used to giving up hits. You know, you, you shore up the defense behind them as much as you can. You get the offense going so that they feel comfortable. And the biggest thing is, is I think the only thing you can really do with these guys who are struggling um, 
and with consistency is you just you show them their best performance. You know, you look at the tape and you look at what went wrong. You talk them through what they're not doing in their worst ones. You got to work on the mental because you're not going to create better throwers. You know, Andrew Devine is not suddenly going to become um, like a mastermind of a pitcher, which, by the way, if we haven't had enough Devine discussions yet. This was probably his best adding of his career this past midweek. I, I think he gave up one home run and then the bullpen gave up a few more runs. But Andrew Devine had his first legitimately good outing in forever. So big props to him. But he's suddenly not going to become anything other than you know he is unless he mentally gets better. You know, that, that's pitching such a mental game because you're not going to find a guy throwing 89 is not suddenly going to throw 94. But a guy throwing 89 needs to learn that, okay, when they're sitting on his fastball, he can't panic. He needs to stick to it, stick to the call, work the corners, work your breaking pitches. If a pitch isn't there for you on that day, don't get frustrated. Stay relaxed. You're going to give up hits. You're going to give up runs. Nobody in college baseball throws perfect games. Nobody in college baseball throws complete games. Nobody in college baseball goes six innings much anymore. So you, you just have to be willing to work on your mental and just pray that that follows through. I thought the Texas series was a great example of this because late in that game against Texas, in both of these games, Texas takes the lead in both games late. Tech battles back offensively to get back into it, but you had to get strikeouts and get out of innings down the stretch to give yourself an opportunity. The first game in particular was great bullpen work there at the end because Texas had a couple of chances to put that away and you managed to stay alive. The walk-off Grand Slam game, I can't give any credit to the bullpen because you gave up 12 runs. And the, the the absolute disaster on the third day shows the, the worst-case scenario, where your starter does okay, but then once the, the shelling started, it just kept coming. So, you know, that I, I think you see what the bullpen can do. It can get you at a great, bad, big, bad jam, and it can put you in some. Consistency wins in baseball. It's, it's that simple. You play – you know, however many games you win, you know, 90% of them in the regular season. The reason Tech's done that a lot and then not done much in Omaha. And the reason why is because when you get down to those eight last teams, those eight truly elite teams, every one of them's got a staff that can, can throw. Every one of them can hit, and you're in a ballpark that prioritizes pitching. So consistency, consistency, consistency. The worst problem to have is bullpen problems. Fortunately, Tech has it, which is sad because I think everything else is better than we expected. You know, the Parker Kelly resurgence has proven to be oh, yes. a massive thing. Oh, which yes. is where I want to take you next, Jack, is we let's talk about some of the unsung guys, some of the surprises this year. This was coming into the year a, a tech offense. We didn't know where much was coming from besides Jace Young. What in Parker Kelly being obvious is an obvious answer, but who's impressed you? You know, who who's come out of left field and really impressed you? I think uh someone who's it's not really a surprise because he's always been around. And it, and it just so – I mean, you've heard his name a lot, especially in the Texas. It's Kurt Wilson. I think I think Kurt has been with the program for so long, and he's done so many things for Tech. He's played every position on the field except for catcher. And that's just a mind-blowing stat in its own. But he's been around for so long, and he's been a two-way player. You know, he's he's can't, he's come in, and he's – you know, he's probably starting maybe half the games, pinch hitting and all the others. Uh, obviously, he's he's probably not going to hit or hit on the days that he pitches. Uh, well, this year he's going straight full time shortstop, replacing Cal Conley, and I don't think that he could be doing much of a better job. Even if you take away the two walk off wins over the over last weekend. I, I think that he's he's just in a zone and he's 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 overachieving on in pretty much every category that I could see. Um, I you know you knew coming into the year uh, that Hudson White and Owen Washburn were going to be uh, names to remember just because you saw them you saw them a lot in fall ball. And you saw them in the starting lineup game one in the State Farm uh, showdown in Arlington against Michigan. So you see them there and they're starting. So you know they're going to be a big part of everything. So their success really isn't a surprise to me. Uh, you know, Owen Washburn was recruited by damn near everyone that's in the top 25 in college baseball. 
uh, consistently. Uh, yeah, Hudson White was recruited by Texas and by Texas A&M, and he chose Tech. So you have these guys that you knew were going to be good, but it's it's the guys that have been here that are finally playing to their full potential that we knew they had, we just hadn't seen yet. And you see that with Parker Kelly, and you see that with Kurt Wilson. I think another one that is even outperforming my expectations is Ty Coleman. Uh, you know, Ty Coleman transferred in from Texas A&M, and when he in his last season for Texas A&M, I, I think he hit like you know one ninety and had two home runs and like eight RBIs or something like that. It wasn't an impressive stat line at all. So you're kind of wondering, you know, what what's the deal with this guy? What are we getting? He's been one of the best in the lineup. You know, he's hitting in that spot behind Jace Young. So these pitchers can't just intentionally walk Jace Young to get around him in the lineup because the next person up is Ty Coleman. So I think I think Tadlock's done a great job there in putting him right behind Jace because every game that Ty has played, pretty much he's been hot, gotten a couple hits. You know, he had two home runs in the first game of the midweek this past week against SFA. And it's just been, he's been fantastic in that DH spot. So I think that's, that's a welcome surprise. And I think that once everyone gets healthy, this, this lineup is slowly starting to get healthy again. You know, Easton Morrell was out for a while. He tweaked a hamstring, you know, Ty Coleman missed three or four games because he tweaked a hamstring. You know, these guys are slowly but surely starting to get healthy. And if you don't see many significant injuries this year, because God knows we've had them over the past couple years. I feel like we've had so many injuries over the past couple years that have really just hurt our postseason runs and postseason chances. I mean, you saw it last year with Dylan Noisy. And, you know, there were times last year when Drew Baker and Cal Conley were hurt. Uh, you, you just saw a lot of that. I think this year you saw it early. Uh, you know, Easton Morrell won. People forget Easton Morrell was the starting third baseman the first weekend in Arlington. But he tweaked his hamstring in game two. And so you plug Parker Kelly back in where he's been for so long. And look at his offensive performance. It's It's absurd. And so... As the more healthy this team gets, the more depth they have, and the more depth they have, it wins you games. One thing I want to touch on that we were just talking about: teams that win in Omaha have deep pitching staff, but also teams that get to Omaha find ways to win games they're not supposed to. And I would look at Game One against Texas. If you have your phone or whatever. I implore you to pull up the box score from that game. Texas finishes with four runs on 11 hits. And I, and who knows how many left on base. They had 10 guys left on base. Tech finishes with five runs on three hits with no men left on base. That in every single day... If you give me those stats, I tell you Texas wins by a lot. But Tech won that because they found a way to win. And if that is a key identifier of this team, is they find ways to win games they're not supposed to, then this team could make a very, very, very deep run at the end of the season. A guy I want to talk about just because he, he doesn't necessarily qualify for this question, but I don't want to get lost in this is Cody Masters coming back this past week. You know, this is a guy that damn Insane near story. He yeah. he almost died. Yeah. He, he literally, for those of you who don't know that story, um, he was dealing with severe illness. I, I, I think he was, you know, in the hospital for 14 days. I mean, they, this, that, that's one of those situations where he, you know, they're starting to talk about like last rights. I mean, this is a kid who could have died a, a month ago. And in his first hit back after, I think it was about 20 games absence, a couple of months absence, um, it's a grand slam. So he, he's one of those guys, you know, if he's back now and healthy and feeling good, which by the way, baseball is a great sport for one big reason. If he's, if he's not 100%, you can still find ways to use him. You know, you, you can you can uh, uh, 
you can have him pitch hit pinch hit. You can have him designate be your designated hitter. You can have him um, stick him, him out in the outfield for an inning or two. Plug Sorry. him in to run. Yeah, but probably get him in a run if, if he's feeling up to it. You know, there are ways to get him in, which is the biggest difference between baseball and a lot of sports. A lot of ways to work a guy like that in. Um, so your your offense is likely going to have a weapon it has not been counting on. Um, Washburn's been a been been an outstanding uh, component. Parker Kelly's going to lead the show, but I do you know I do want to comment on one thing and. Um, you know, overall, this lineup, which which looked like it was going to struggle, Jace Young was the only known commodity per se in terms of power hitting, and I think Tech has hit like seven grand slams. You know, tons of home runs. I'd have to look at stats to compare this time this year versus last year. But you have your offense is almost entirely power hitting right now. If anything, you struggle to hit situationally more so than you do hitting home runs. So I I, I think that if you look at the lineup as a whole from from where they need to get to, to, to win down the line um, to where they are now. I, I think you're there offensively. Um, I believe it's Drew or Dylan Carter's the only guy hitting under 200. Um, and a lot of that was a, a bad weekend uh, towards the end there against Texas. I think he went like, Oh, and Oh, for 10, Oh, for 11. I mean, it was just a rough, rough weekend. And Jack mentioned this, by the way, you were out hitting both Texas games, which speaks to this. You don't hit situationally that well, but you got power. So, you know, it, you, <laughs> I'm embrace the all home run offense, I guess. I mean, why not? What the, what the hell you'll, you'll win almost every game at home doing that. And that that'll get you to where you want to be. And then you work on the other stuff as you go um, from the pitching staff. I think bird cell, I think was a guy most people counted on to be really, really dominant. Um, but I really liked Becker. I, I don't know if I had Becker on my store, on my, on my card as being a guy that would, could really give you some run. And I think he's, you know, he's not, as consistent as Birdso, I think has only really had one bad outing, but you know, he's a guy who's done a lot of good for you. Um, and you, you, overall, I think you, you, you're pretty happy with your, your starting lineup. And I think you're pretty happy with your starting pitching. And like we said, the bullpen's the problem. So that brings me to my next question, Jack is you're looking for answers in the bullpen. Where are you going? You know, who needs to step up for tech to start to write that? So, as we've mentioned, you know, we, we have some injuries right now. Uh, I think most noticeably right now uh, in this midweek, you saw before we get to the bullpen, you know, uh, we saw Sam Hunt get two starts in center field. Dylan Carter didn't even dress out. Uh, so Dylan Carter has got something going on. I would imagine that would be one of the main reasons his, of his slump over the weekend. He's just not feeling right. Um, Right now, you do have some bullpen issues injury-wise. Uh, I know Brendan Gurton has some tendonitis stuff going on in his throwing shoulder, I believe, uh, somewhere uh, in his throwing arm. Uh, he's got some tendonitis that he's working through. That's why you did not see him in the Texas series. Uh, you know, I'm, I want to run through everything the best I can of just looking at the roster overall and kind of seeing, I mean, you you got to have some guys have some run at some point that haven't really seen. You know, I haven't seen Hayde Key at all this year. You know, he was pretty steady out of the bullpen last year. I haven't seen him once. Um, you know, uh, you have Chase Hampton got scratched from his start this midweek. Uh, no injury. He was just sick. Uh, was sick over the weekend from what I've heard. So he's going to be fine for next week's midweeks. Um, Jamie Hitt's been a great surprise out of the bullpen. He's he's the one that started game two in uh, uh, when we played Mississippi State. He's been great out of the pen for the most part. Uh, I agree with you. You know, Becker, Becker's been huge. Uh, I know he's, he's only in his, in his sophomore year, which is absurd to think about. But... Um, the Vander, you know, he transferred in from Vanderbilt about three years ago, and uh, had to sit out a year. And then last year he had Tommy John, so he didn't throw at all. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface with Becker, and I think if he stays another year, which I, uh, which I'm assuming he will, um, you know, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I think that we could see him in the starting rotation, possibly weekends. Uh, next year. 
depending on how everything goes, because I believe, I believe that this is uh Birdsell's last year or no, he's only a junior. So, but Birdsell might jump to the, to the league. You know, he was drafted last year. Um, but you know, I, I would like to get Gurton back as soon as possible. Uh, Colin Clark pitched really well in the second game against SFA. Um, we have some other. Jace Lopez has, has been hit or miss. He had a bad outing against SFA in the second. He let up four runs in the top of the ninth. I think with him, it's just more experience. The more time he gets on the mound, the better he'll be. Uh, Shea Hardis well, is a good is good coming out. You know, he's a transfer in from Grayson College. He's going to be good out of the pen. My 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 main pitcher that I'd like to look at, and I'd like to get him back on his game, is Trendon Parrish. Trendon Parrish came in and was absolutely lights out for the first couple weeks of the year. Then he got roughed up a bit against Mississippi State. Uh, came back in, you know, uh, he got back to his ways. You know, had he has five saves, I believe, this year already. And uh, then they insert him in against Texas, and he gets roughed up again. So he's young. He's a true freshman. And I think that the more times you get him in to big games, which are going to be big 12 games, the more he pitches in those games, uh, I think the more comfortable he gets on the mound and the the better outlook you have for this team. Uh, another name I guess you could throw in there would be Bo Blessy. He's, he's, thrown, he's thrown a couple of games. Uh, he's the transfer from Nebraska and Midland College. So I think that overall they're still trying to find the pieces and how they fit together in the puzzle. I think you have a couple that have really set themselves apart and uh, a few that you're still kind of waiting on to – to you know, show their stuff. Uh, but right now, I need Gurton back. I need Parrish to get back on the horse, and I need Hit and company to you know continue. So far, is it's it's passable bullpen relief. I'm going to go to a guy here that on the record multiple times last year in articles that we we've given a lot of hate to, which is Andrew divine. Um, biggest complaint being is that he gets an outrageous amount of runtime for a guy who has struggled as much as he has. But I, I said it earlier, this was his best outing of the year, you know, and Oh, his best outing since 2020. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like that. Th- this was the kind of outing that we saw early in his career that I think is why Tadlock has continued to try to throw him. If he's suddenly going to be good, hell, passable, if that's suddenly going to be the Andrew Devine we get, where not only is he a guy who can throw midweeks if you wanted to start him there, but he's a guy who down the line when you're into the postseason can come in and give you two innings without getting just rocked, I, I think that changes the entire calculus for Tech. Because Andrew Devine at his best is an, has elite stuff. The problem is, is that he had a bad game a while ago and seemed to never get over it. He went from being unhittable to being a absolute basket case on the mound. But, you know, that, that that's a guy, if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to circle him. Because what I want it for him, he's had such a tough career. I mean, I don't know what his ERA is this season. I don't have that stat in front of me. But it's somewhere between bad and not good, you know. And it, it he he's the kind of guy that I think came in with such high expectations for what he was going to do. He started pretty strong in his career. And now I, I, I saw a tweet, and I don't remember who tweeted it, but it was basically talking about seeing him as the starter Basically, everybody was just kind of like, well, shit, like this is going to be a wild one because, you know, you would expect him to go and do some dumb stuff up there. Get hit hard, you know, throw throw some questionable pitches, walk a bunch of guys, whatever the case. It never seems to be the same thing with him. Um, So I I think if he's stabilizing his career, if he's finally going to get to his potential where he can be a a midweek starter or a passable reliever down the stretch, I think Tech will be far better for it and it'll be far better for him. Jack, I'm going to let you take us to the end here, and I really want you to dive into the KU series in particular um, with our last little run. 
what do you see from the Kansas Jayhawks? You know, big picture themes. What should be Tech looking for? I don't see much. Uh, I see a team that's nine and fourteen overall. They've played a really weird schedule. They've only played two. They've only played two home games all season. We're we're in the second weekend of Big Twelve play, and this is their first home se- full home series of the season, which is absolutely absurd to think about. Um, but you have a team that they started Big Twelve play last weekend at Oklahoma State. Uh, they got swept, and now after after that series, Tech is right up there too. This one's in Lawrence, obviously. I I, I think that overall, this is a series you should sweep. Uh, they have a couple of guys that are decent. Um, guy from Hawaii, they're one of their infielders, uh, Maui Ahuna. That dude, uh, he's like second in Big 12 in average, leads them in all major statistical categories. Uh, you know, average home runs, hits, uh, RBIs, stolen bases, pr- everything. So if you want to zero in on a guy on the uh, hitting-wise, that's your guy. Uh, he's only a sophomore. Uh, he's ranked, I think, in the when Rivals does their baseball rankings, uh for the state of Hawaii. It's a little different when they do Hawaii than the rest of the lower 48, but uh, he was the number five rated player in all of Hawaii, which that's not bad. Um, I know that they're, they have two guys that start, uh, I believe they're in the Saturday Sunday slots right now. Uh, it's Cole Larson and Ryan Vanderay. Uh, Vander is a big old tall, lanky dude. Uh, he's like 6'6", 180. He's a sophomore. Uh, he's got a pretty high arm slot, so he's going to he's gonna be pretty tall if they're on the mound. Kind of a different arm slot to try and track pitches out of. Uh, Larson's more of a normal size guy, 6'1", so he's about, the, he's about normal size, so not as tall. They've been trying different guys out in the Friday slot, so I don't really know who you're going to see. The guy who I thought you were going to see um, pitched literally on, or I guess pitched yesterday against Wichita State. I thought I had their their starting th- or their starting rotation for the weekend. Turns out the guy I thought that was going to pitch Friday pitched yesterday, so he's out for the Friday start. So I really don't know, and they've they've been kind of switching switching guys in and out of that Friday slot. Uh, the Saturday, Sunday are the two guys that I mentioned. Those guys have been pretty much set in stone. So I don't really know what they're going to do in terms of terms of that. Like I said, this is a team that's nine and fourteen. Um, although they haven't played much at home, uh, you know they they got swept by Oklahoma State. They lost a series against Indiana State. They've lost to Missouri State sixteen to one, but then. They've beat Michigan State thirteen to seven. They've lost to Western Carolina, but they beat Illinois. So I, it's just it's just you don't know what you're gonna get really. Um, all I know is that they played two home games. They're they're four and nine away from home. Uh, their Saturday Sunday guys are set in the rotation, and Maui Ahuna is their best player. Uh, that should give you kind of a base on what you need to do to win this series. I I don't see Tech losing this series. In all reality, it should be a series sweep for Tech. We'll see what happens. This this to me, I'm just saying I know it's early in Big 12 play. This just has trap series written all over. This reminds me of if you remember last season, this reminds me of the West Virginia series, uh, big time. You have some, you have a home series coming up next weekend. Uh, you're possibly looking over because you think this is going to be a cakewalk. I, I, this has West Virginia series written all over it, so I really am imploring Tech to not overlook this team. Uh, apparently, you know they can beat Illinois and Michigan State, but sometimes they're going to lose to Missouri State and Indiana State. So you really don't know what you're going to get. I would just plan on 
preparing for their best. I'm going to close this out here. Full hour of content. Um, we'll have more in the coming days about spring football, about the transfer portal. I think there's going to be multiple articles written about that on Viva. But I think that that's a good discussion on baseball is closing. It's a good place to close. Um, thank you guys for listening to us. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Twitter. Um, follow the Viva the Matadors page. Almost all the 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 uh, <clears throat> sorry, almost all the previous podcast episodes are saved through the little embeds in there if you need to find one. But Spotify is a great home. I think we're also now on Apple Podcasts. So you can find us on most of your regular podcast places. As always, it has been a pleasure talking to you guys. I was here with Jack. I'm making. I'm glad to be back this week. Hopefully we can catch Kendall and Reed next time. Um, we're in baseball season full swing now, guys. So I don't know what a recording schedule is going to be like. I want to try to get one in before every weekend series for the Big 12. But we'll see how it goes um, since we have some major midweeks coming up. Um, we'll see. But we'll talk to you guys another day. Wreck them forever. Enjoy the rest of your spring as we transition to summer. And, um, you know, I, I think I, I wrote an article about this, but I think we're in a really great spot as an athletic program. So it's this, this podcast is only going to have more fun things to talk about in the future.